Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Well, what a great morning to be at church. Amen. We made a bunch of announcements, and uh, I know you all have locked those in because we're just that sharp. Um, there's a couple of things, though, that uh, I want to make sure that uh, we hear, see, have plans for. Uh, Christmas Eve service, we're going to be doing that at the Elsinore once again. So, yeah, we can be excited about that. Uh, the 22nd and 23rd, so we're calling it Christmas Eve at the Elsinore, but it's before Christmas Eve, okay? I just confused a few of you folks, right? Uh, yes, you can have Christmas Eve before Christmas Eve if you just call it Christmas Eve at the Elsinore. Uh, here's one of the things we want to make sure. You've got to sign up early uh, as soon as they make those sign-ups available. Uh, we want to make sure our church has uh, an opportunity not only for you to come with your family, your extended family. Uh, last time we had a bit of a waiting list, and um, so we're doing it two nights. Two nights at the Elsinore. It's going to be an awesome time. Um, I'm praying that you'll be there, that you'll bring some friends. We're going to be uh, unboxing peace is what our theme is going to be. And so we want you to come and and hear about Christ, be able to share that with your friends. Also, for our senior saints, uh, I want to make sure that you see this. Uh, You've seen it around. There's multiple ways that you can sign up. Uh, We want you to be there. The reason that I'm emphasizing this over and over again, senior saints, is there are many of you senior saints who refuse to be called a senior or a saint. We just want you to settle into that title and join us, okay? So if you're over 60, we'll just drop it right there. 62, if there's any planning in your home that has happened that uh, if you're receiving AARP cards, anything along that line... Please sign up and be here. The reason we want you to RSVP is we do have some games, gifts, and uh, special food for you. That's going to be on Tuesday, 1.30 in the afternoon. All right? That's uh, on the 6th. So I've made my announcement. Uh, We'll let your family press you into service. Be there. It's going to be a lot of fun. This morning, uh, it's outside of our regular Hebrews Uh, treatment, but it does help us with the storyline that we're facing in Hebrews, and I believe it helps us on this Thanksgiving. Uh, It's just a a special focus this morning. I'm calling hashtag blessed, okay, because I figured maybe you would listen if I used lingo from the 90s or early 2000s. How many of you feel blessed this morning? So blessed. We take a look at our families. There's a lot of things going on in the world, a lot of things that we can complain about, a lot of concerns that you might still have, but we are a blessed people. In Numbers chapter 6, there is a prayer that gets echoed in the New Testament, and I believe that we sometimes forget the profound nature of this prayer. And it is whispered through the rest of the Old Testament, all the way into the New, and you might not have known it. A short while ago, um, two little amulets were found in a bone box in Jerusalem. All the rest of the stuff that was inside that tomb 
dates back to 600 BC. Uh, these are, uh, this is that little scroll that got unrolled inside a silver amulet that was inside that bone box. So this is buried with this individual. This would have been a precious piece of scripture that they would have carried around their neck as a phylactery around their wrists. They would have tied this onto them in some form. This is the scripture. It dates back to 600 AD. In fact, this is the earliest known scripture, original copy that we have. So this is the earliest piece of scripture that we can find. And it is a prayer, a promise written to a particular people. But it's a promise that has echoes to today. It was already a well-known scripture, 600 AD. Some people say that a lot of the scripture that we're reading, because of all the prophetic content, must have been written later. No, this was already so popular, so well-known, that a piece of it could be written out and put around the neck as a reminder of God's promises. But also that it was put around the neck. This was a scripture that comforted and that was worthy of memorization. It was worthy of reciting. What passage is that? It's Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through the end of the chapter 27. Let's stand and read this passage together. And we'll pick at it this uh, morning after Thanksgiving. The scripture says this. The Lord spoke to Moses. Tell Aaron and his sons this is how you are to bless the Israelites. You should say to them, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. In this way, they will pronounce my name over the Israelites and I will bless them. Do you believe that's true? You may be seated. I want to highlight for you uh, seven facts. Out of this. Now, I know that you've consumed mass quantities of turkey and treats, and you might be fuzzy. I'm just going to walk through these. Hopefully, they're in your notes, a little picture of that scroll that is there, but I believe these are important. Seven facts, three conclusions that we need to draw as we're heading out uh, with this passage in our minds. The first thing that I want you to notice is that this passage is a blessing pronounced after the sacrifice had been accepted. All the way through the end of the book of Exodus, Leviticus, uh, into this first part of Numbers, the priestly duties, the expectations of Israel, what it was that they were supposed to do in order to bring honor to God, in order to show that they were followers, all of that has been listed out. And this is the final step. The priest would hear their declarations. He would make a daily sacrifice and at the end of that sacrifice, he would make this proclamation. Day after day, week after week. At high holy events, he would make this proclamation over Israel. But it was always after the sacrifice had taken place. Now think about this. This is a declaration to these people after it has been finished. Second fact I want you to notice is that Aaron's blessing is written as an oracle, not a wish. It's a pro pronouncement of God's commitment to Israel. Now the wording uh, in the CSB here says, may the Lord bless you. And when we read that with our 
eyes uh, in this current day and age, we say, uh, may the Lord bless you. Well, I, I really hope that, he, that this works. We've done all of this um, sacrificing. We've done all of this stuff. I, man, I really hope that he blesses you now as you go. But that's not the way that it was written. It was written as, now may you finally understand God has blessed you. May you walk out and see his peace. May you walk out and experience what it is that he's always hoped for you. And this is a guarantee. It was an oracle. It was written as a statement. God has done these things. He has blessed you. He has put his loving kindness on you. He has caused his face to shine upon you. He's given you grace and peace. That's what it says. He's given you grace and peace. May you realize it. May you see, now that everything is clean, there's nothing between you and him, may you finally realize what is already true. It's written as an oracle. This is what God will do. In fact, believing that, we understand that there are still plans that God has to accomplish in order to fulfill this promise to not only Israel, but to God's people in general. He is not done. Amen? This isn't the final stage. This isn't the way that he leaves the world. This is not as good as it gets. Amen also goes there. <laughs> Third thing I want you to see this is a wide promise. It is not based on the individual's effort, but on God's covenant keeping love. Three different times it says, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord, he uses his name three times. Some have intimated from this that it's speaking of the triune Godhead, that he is speaking forward out of all of his glory, all of his emphasis to let you know that he will bless you. But it says in this way, they, all of the priests, will pronounce my name over the Israelites, all of the people. Why all of the people? Because he wanted all of the people to be blessed. But what if all the people weren't at Israel that day? What if all of the people hadn't come and cleansed their sins? What if all of the people hadn't followed through the way that we expect all of the people to do it? This announcement was still made. Everybody is here. They are doing what they can. But the Lord is going to bless his people. Do you have faith in God? Have you put your faith in him? Have you trusted Christ in this time? He's blessed you, and he's going to bless you even when you fail. Fourth thing I want you to see here is this is a pronouncement that builds. Uh, in the original language, it's actually beautiful in the structure that it has. Three different lines, three words in the first line, then five words in the second line, then seven. It just builds these layers. 15 letters, 20 letters, then 25 letters. In every way, there is symmetry he wants you in a poetic way to wrap your mind around this promise and have it go with you. He wanted this to build in its announcement so that the final thing you would remember with the greatest amount of declaration is that because God is your God, you will have peace. That's what you'll have. If you put your faith in the living God, he is going to be the bringer of peace. It's a guarantee. Fifth thing, this declaration is echoed in the New Testament by Paul 17 times. In fact, those two little amulets that they found in there, what's really super interesting is in one of them, uh, there is this full version. But in the second little amulet that they found, there actually was the reduced phrasing. Just the second two lines 
It was as if a contraction had been made in order to fit it into the cylinder, but the essence of it still remains. What had been put together in that second little amulet was just the idea of grace and peace. When you look into the New Testament and you watch the Apostle Paul, he doesn't wait till the end of his book to announce grace and peace. He starts at the very beginning of every single one of his books to the New Testament leaders with grace and peace. This is an announcement that was made after the sacrifice had been completed. He starts everything that he is saying to these New Testament believers, knowing that everything that they need to be clean in front of the living God has already been accomplished. Grace and peace. When they heard these words, when they heard grace and peace, when they heard an announcement from one of their leaders, grace and peace, there would have been these echoes that go all the way back and remind them, this is the prayer that was over us. Grace and peace. We're used to contractions in our own language. Um, in the Welsh community, they used to use the phrase when you were, were leaving, God be with you. Uh, I, I don't know how to do it with a, a proper Welsh ac- accent, you know, but good be with ye. Eventually it got contracted into goodbye, and we use it still to this day. Contraction, so that it's easier to say with the same intent that you'd be blessed as you go. This is what Paul does, grace and peace. Every single time you go back and look at when Paul says grace and peace, he announces something that Christ has already done for him, accomplished. And he says grace and peace to you. He wants you to have the same thing. Also, I want you to notice in verse 27 there, it says, in this way they, the priests, will announce my name over the Israelites and I will bless them. God intended this blessing to mark his people. Literally, this way my name will be on them. Three different times. May Yahweh bless you. May Yahweh make his face shine on you. May Yahweh look on you with favor and give you peace. And this way they would remember that it was me, not only that set them free in Egypt, but that sets them free in every situation in life and still has a plan for them. I am unrelenting. I will not let go. Seventh fact before we look at some application thoughts. This prayer, promise, inspired dedicated believers to be thankful, generous, and to hear God's voice. As you go through chapter 7, right after they hear this blessing, the pronouncement is made. It is announced that they are God's people and they walk in his blessing. They start bringing offerings, all of the leaders from all the tribes of Israel. The very next statement is, and then the leaders in Israel rose up and all of the tribes brought in gifts. They were thankful to the Lord and they brought offerings to make sure that this tabernacle and this temple would be taken care of. And it comes all the way down to the very end of chapter 7, verse 89, when Moses entered the tent of the meeting to speak with the Lord, he heard the voice speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim, and he spoke to him that way. Two different things, sacrificial giving and the voice of God, and then they went out into whatever was next. Preceding. Their sacrificial giving was the understanding that God had blessed them already. Is that amazing? Those are the facts. What are some conclusions that we should draw? Three conclusions. 
As I read this passage and I see the echoes of it in the New Testament, um, I'm combining these ideas. When I read the Apostle Paul say, grace and peace, by the way, always in that order, never reversed, you can't have peace without grace, amen? Grace and peace. When we see that echoed through the New Testament and we see it lived out, uh, the Psalms expound this passage over and over. Uh, Just in your own notes, put Psalm 67 and look at it. It's an unpacking of this prayer and saying this is what we're seeing in David's day. But when we think on those things, this is one of the conclusions we must draw. Because it is finished, we are blessed. Because it is finished, we are blessed. When Christ was on the cross, he makes a statement to Telestai, it is finished. Payment made in full. And because of that final full sacrifice, you and I are blessed. This was a a prayer that was announced over the people when all the sacrificing had been done. A reminder that God is good. He is worthy of praise. And he's going to pursue them with grace and peace. Spoken after the sacrifice. There was a project just a little while ago done by the Gallup Association. Uh, it was extensive. They do it, uh, they've been uh, now under contractual obligation to do this on a periodic basis. Five million people interviewed from around the world, two million from the United States. They called it the Happiness Project. They interviewed all of these individuals to find out what is the metric that not only nations use in order to be happy. Uh, or to identify happiness, but also around the world, globally, is happiness on the rise. And they said what we discovered in the process of all of our studies was that we tend to think of happiness as one pole and misery as another pole. So if happiness rises, misery must be going down. But he said, and the reality is, happiness exists on its own. Misery also has a life of its own. You can actually increase the amount of people in your nation who say that they are now currently happy without reducing the amount of misery that's being experienced in your nation. Are you aware of that? He says, as the the surveyor said, one of the things we came away from is, if you have a nation that is rising in happiness, you ought to make it Your purpose to reduce misery, to do something personally if you are on a happy or in a happier place to reduce the misery that you see around you. One interviewer, in fact, highlighting this, called an individual and they were asking them the uh, survey that they they remembered the most. So they're trying to do out of five million surveys, they're trying to ask what one hit you. One Gallup interviewer from Omaha, Nebraska said, the survey I remember is one that I didn't finish. It was with a man, middle-aged, who sounded somewhat down when he answered the phone. And I asked him, were you happy all day yesterday? And he suddenly began to cry, not weeping or sniffing, but flat out sobbing. So that I could hear the phone moving. Then he hung up and I decided not to call back because I could just sense the humiliation in that man. They're doing a project called the Happiness Project and the question, were you happy all day yesterday, broke him. 
Does a prayer like this matter to an individual like that? May the Lord bless you, keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you, look on favor with you and give you peace. There are hungry hearts and maybe even you're sitting by one this morning. There's a story that came out a little while ago. In fact, if you go online, you can find they have their own website now, Taylor's Gift. And it's the story of Todd and Tara Storch. Uh, They actually had um, a terrible thing happen in their family. They were on a skiing vacation. I think it was 2010. And their daughter, Taylor, uh, had skied off away from the family and had hit a tree. And they found out shortly after from the doctors that she was not going to live. So they had to make this horrible decision about organ donation and all of these things. And they talk about not knowing who to talk to, who was there to support. Taylor's gift as a website is a way to reach out to other people who have experienced tragedy and to come alongside them in those hard decisions, give them resources and blessing. But there's a little book where they write their story and what they did over a four-year process after the fact where they went to each of these donor recipients to see how they were faring. And in one moment, they encountered Patricia Winters, a gal who had been waiting for three years for a heart. Uh, Her body had gotten uh, weaker and progressively weaker to the point that she was just bedbound, hoping that somehow there would be an answer and found out that a heart was available, that it was a match for her. And she received Taylor's heart. And Tara, the mother, had a request. She said, I I, willingly, I want you to have life. But I just asked, is it possible, could I hear my daughter's heartbeat? So she makes a trip from Dallas uh, to Phoenix, where this heart has been given to Patricia. And these two ladies meet, and with tears... For different reasons, they hug, they bless each other, and then in a gracious moment, really a gracious moment, Patricia grabs a stethoscope that she had uh, brought along, she puts it up, and she allows Tara's mom to hear her daughter's heart beating, the one that was giving her life. One author says, now the question you have to ask is, whose heart was that? Is that Taylor's heart or is that Patricia's? But how precious is it to the parent to hear the heart of their child beating in an individual and it's giving them life? It takes an amazing sacrifice to heal a failing heart. This is the same picture that we get in the New Testament when it says that God in his goodness sent Christ who died for us. And one of the cherished things in the Godhead, the rejoicing that goes on in heaven, is when somebody gives their life to Christ, they bow their knee and say, not my will, but yours. They put their faith in Jesus. And it is a pleasure for the Father to hear Christ's heart beating in you and I. Because it is finished, we are blessed. Took a great sacrifice, but we're the recipients. Second thing I want you to see is that whatever we are about to face, we do it as God's children. This is a, um, a little amulet that we found, 600 BC. Remember, that is in the reign of the final good king of Israel. 
This is right before they were about to go on a slide that would take them to Babylon. This is going to go with him to his grave, but when you have an amulet like that, I don't know if you've ever been around old men, but they tend to tell their stories. Maybe at Thanksgiving you experienced this. You know, when I was a child. And then we drift off into our thoughts, right? And our scriptures and the things that the Lord has done. This passage got brought up. Children understood this. Before they went into Babylon, this precious passage that had been written down and put into an amulet and hung around the neck and buried with an individual went as a reminder with them that even though they were going to Babylon, God wasn't finished. His promises are still secure. That he was going to do what he said he would do. That they would see his goodness in the land of the living, back in their land, Someday, God was not going to leave them alone. We are his children. Uh, there was a late 50s, early 60s uh, a show called The Twilight Zone. And in one famous episode, there's a guy, Mike Ferris, who wakes up with amnesia and he's in a diner. And as he is sitting in this diner, he's looking around. He wakes up, he's wearing a flight suit, and he cannot understand what he's doing in the diner. He, he looks, and there's a coffee pot, and it's percolating. There's soup that's on and boiling. There's all this stuff going on in the kitchen, but there are no people. And he wanders around looking for help, and, and everything that he would ever want, everything that he would ever need is there in these scenes. As he goes into the diner, food is ready. It's laying in front of him, but there are no people. He goes outside onto the streets. He walks to a little town. No people, no cars on the street that are driving. He walks by homes. He looks on the inside, candles lit, meals that were there. No people. Goes into a theater, completely empty, movies playing. No people. He is walking and walking and walking and cannot encounter anyone, although all of his needs are met. Everything that he would wish to see or do is available to him. There is nobody around. And at the final scene, he is sitting at the edge of a crosswalk, pounding the crosswalk sign, hoping that he's going to have to signal somebody to stop. And he's just saying, help me, help me, help me. And then the scene, the, the scene flips. And you see that he's actually not on the street and not in a place. That's actually a world of his own making. He's actually an astronaut being tested for whether or not he can get to the other side of the moon. And he's 400 and some days into this test to see what he would do if he's not around any people. And he goes crazy because he's been alone. He's actually hitting a panic button saying, I need contact with an individual. We were not made to walk alone. We weren't made to be able to carry that weight. It's one of the ways that we punish individuals, separating them from others. But how do we feel connected in a world that is increasingly feeling disconnected? Anybody sit in a room, have conversations, only to have all of the conversations go silent as everyone's looking and the glow of cell phones is on their face? No amen, I hear. It's hard for us to get slowly disconnected, caught up in cyber this and cyber that, feeling more and more alone even though we're around people. 
God has not abandoned us. There's a gal, Heather Sample, her dad, Kyle Sheets, had taught her to be a doctor. And uh, Max Lucado, in his book on grace, shares their story. They're friends of his. 13-year ministry vet, surgery uh, among AIDS victims in Africa. And she sits down to lunch one time and she sees that her dad, in the process of doing a surgery, they had done 30-some surgeries while they were sitting there together, had actually cut through his glove. And uh, in the blood that was on the table got transferred to his body. And he sits down to tell his daughter, this happened. And they had to make a decision. There was uh, retroviral stuff that he could actually take. Uh, the chances of him getting AIDS because of the place where they were at were very high. And so they could take some stuff right away that would block that from happening. But there are consequences to both decisions. Consequences for waiting, high chance that he would get it. Consequences for taking the medicine, high chances that you'd have a reaction in your body would harm you. Well, he took the antiretroviral and he ended up with Stephen jo- Stevens-Johnson syndrome. Basically, his body was shutting down. It looked like he was dying. Heather, through a group of friends, was able to get him to a plane. Says, we got to get him to the United States or at least to the Americas where we can get some medicine to him. And she's overwhelmed. She's nursing him. She's watching his vitals. She's taking care of all the medicines that it would take in order to keep him alive. And she says, and I can remember getting on this plane. And I'm falling apart. I'm tired because every single time that he moves, I want to make sure that he's healthy, that he's going to be making one little bit of progress towards health. It looks like he is about to die. His face is ashen. Um, He's getting jaundiced. And she just said, all I could say was, Father, help me. I need somebody who understands what I'm going through. She was in the bathroom with her dad trying to take care of some other wounds that he had uh, incurred and and was there for a long time. All of a sudden, she hears a knock on the door. And she says, yes, I'm sorry we're taking so long. And I said, ma'am, do you need help? And she says, I really need help. Is there a doctor on board? And the flight attendant, it was the most amazing thing, says, actually, there's 96. 96 doctors, and they're believers. It's a whole group of people that were coming here for a conference. And so she announces to the people, hey, this gal needs a doctor, needs a friend. And they not only prayed for her, but all of those people took care of her dad, took care of her better than she ever could, and gave her rest. So she arrived at their destination, rested herself, and having her dad be in the very best of care. And they used all of their influence to get him into a place so that he'd be taken care of. Now, was that God's provision for Kyle Sheets? Was that God's provision for Heather Sample, the daughter? Was that God's provision for those doctors to feel useful and have this amazing story? Or was that God's provision for us so that we'd be reminded we're not alone no matter where we go? And to that I would answer yes. God is a God of provision and we ought to note it and be reminded of it. A third conclusion as we head out the door. Wherever we go, we are an advertisement. And God is concerned about his brand. It says in verse 27, in this way they will pronounce my name over the Israelites and I will bless them. When he says pronounce my name, it's the same kind of term that you would use uh, in a marriage. You now have the same name. You're going to go out under one name. The protection, the benefits, the blessing, whatever those are of being in this family are on you. You have this name. 
God says they're going to go out with my name and everyone is going to notice two things. This, first of all, is how God takes care of his own. Just think about those last two stories. But also, this is how God's people act. There's a famous, deeply uh, theological movie called Toy Story. (laughs) And in there, a certain character, Woody, uh, looks on the bottom of his foot. I don't know if you remember that. When he needs to remember what is his purpose and his reason for existing. The bottom of his foot is written Andy. He is marked by the one that loves him most, right? What is his purpose for being? I gotta, I'm Andy's toy. I've got to do things that would bless Andy. And we want to make sure that we're ready for Andy, that we're in proper order for Andy. And the entire movie is about him finding his purpose in being a kid's toy. Why? Because Andy's name was on his foot. It gave him purpose. There's a story, and um, just because of surviving cancer, I kind of collect some of these. Um, Amy Wells, a bridal shop owner, um, was talking to one of the clients that had just come in and found out that her dad was in the hospital. He had contracted, since she had been engaged, contracted melanoma. Uh, It was terminal. Uh, They did not know if he was going to make it through the next couple of weeks. She was afraid to leave her dad's bedside. She didn't want to go and celebrate and get ready for her wedding because she didn't want to leave his side. He was so ill. And he pleaded with her. He said, please, I I would love for you to go. I want to know that you have this wedding dress. And so he asks her to go and, and still celebrate the day. He didn't want to hold that up. And so from pleading from her dad, uh, he said, I'm going to be just sleeping anyway. And uh, the pleading of the rest of her family, she ends up in this bridal shop. And Amy Wells, the owner, tells the story. She says she came in. She finds the dress that she wants. Um, and, and then breaks down in tears saying, my dad's never going to see me in this. And she says, well, why not? And she says, well, I, I don't have the money right now for this. I don't have any way to do anything. And he's not going to see it, but this is the dress. She says, well, just go. Go to him and sends her out the door, no credit card payment, no promise that she's even going to return. Sends her. She said she woke up that morning, Amy does, knowing that God had a plan for her life and that she ought to bless somebody else. And this was her opportunity. She sends her out the door, just says, you go and show this dress off to your dad, whether or not you buy it. Let him see you. And so she does. She goes to the hospital, puts on this dress, rejoices with her dad. He gets to hug her. Three days later, he passes she would get married in that dress. But when I think of what does God look like on his people, when his name is written on them, God's people act right, amen? And they do things of consequence, not just in this room, but in the community where others will see it. Wherever we go, we're an advertisement. God's concerned about his brand. He blesses us that we might be a blessing to others. We said, uh, just back to the very beginning here, that these little amulets that you saw were found in 600 BC, the time of Josiah. It was the last great revival that would hit that nation before they would go into captivity, the last opportunity that they would have to follow the Lord. In fact, it turns out that they were cleaning the temple 
and stumbled upon the word of God, which none of them had read for a generation. They start reading the word of God and they're shocked at what's in there. Oh my word, is this really what he wants us to be about? We have come so far the wrong direction. And there's a great repentance, a revival. They run idols and idolatry out of the land. Josiah is the king that brings back in revival. This was a period of goodness. They were shocked at how far they had fallen. They were blessed and carried forward by God's goodness and grace. This was the passage when revival struck that they wrote down, put on amulets and said, this is how our God acts. And it carried them through captivity. I'm praying that in our day and age, we'll see a revival. But if not, let God's people be reminded that grace and peace ought to not just be a theological truth, it ought to be written on our face and it ought to impact our feet. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to put you on display. We thank you for the promises that are in your word and for the way that you do energize us. And we ask that you would help us. Father, uh, in grace and peace, to bless those around us, to see those who are hurting. Father, maybe even in this room, those who had forgotten your grace, your goodness, who this last Thanksgiving were concerned by a lack of thankfulness. Father, help them to sense your presence and your goodness, to walk out not only being blessed by your grace, but thankful. And Father, help us to touch the world around us because you have first done something in us. We pray that you'd help us to live out what this prayer promises, grace and peace. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen.